is alive. Come on. So uh, we're doing an uh, Easter service this, this afternoon, and we are excited. And the theme of the message today is five reasons why the resurrection gives us hope. There should never be despair. We should never be Debbie Downers as Christians. We have access to things through the resurrection, and we should be a hope-filled people. And if you're not hopeful, Jesus is hopeful. He is full of hope and he has hope for you. So if you're discouraged this morning or this afternoon and you've been down and you're not really sure where life's gonna take you or what's been going on, I'm gonna give you five reasons today for hope. I'm gonna give you five reasons to have hope. We're talking about Christianity. 2.3 billion people claim to be Christians in this world. Did you know that? It is the largest kingdom on the planet. It's bigger than China, Europe, and the US combined. 2.3 billion. How is this possible? How is it possible that something that started with 350 ragtag people, now 2.3 billion people on earth claim faith in this? How is this possible? Well, with one word, the resurrection. It's the power of the resurrection. Jesus is alive. If you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, I'm going to tell you. If you are familiar with Jesus, happy day. We're going to hear, you're going to learn some stuff this morning. Jesus came to earth to take our place. He came as us to die for us. And he came and he proved he was God. God became man. The Lord became as we are in order that we may become as he is. He came in our likeness. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, the Bible says. He was without sin, but he, was, he lived, died, and was crucified, took the sin of the world into, into himself, laid it in the grave, and then rose anew. And he proved he was who he says he was because he rose from the grave. The Bible says this in the book of Romans concerning Jesus Christ our Lord. He came according to the seed of David, according to the flesh. A lot of things happening, a lot of prophetic word concerning the coming of the Messiah. The Bible spoke of the minute man fell, God promised them a Messiah. He told them the seed of the woman, when when Adam and Eve fell, he promised that there would come one who would deliver us. He promised us a deliverer. And one of the promises, or one of the, and so God spent probably 3,000 years from the time of Adam, at least, to, to establish a line of prophetic. So the Bible spoke of the coming Messiah. It laid out specific scriptures that told us who the Messiah was going to be. He couldn't be just anyone. So you have hundreds of scriptures laid out over thousands of years that told us who the Messiah was going to be. And just one of those scriptures was he, has, he was to be a direct descendant of King David. And so he had to be born of the Jewish line, and he not just the Jewish line, he had to be a descendant of King David. And so when the Bible says he was born born of the seed of David according to the flesh, that's not just some ordinary thing. Jesus' parents, Joseph, so we're talking, uh, David was probably a thousand years before Jesus, and so he, somewhere in there, and so he, somebody's going to correct me on the date, but nonetheless, it was, let's just say, gap of time. Um, (laughs) It was a gap of time, and so uh, Joseph, David's, or Jesus' earthly father, he was born of Mary, born of a virgin, but he had an earthly father, and his earthly father was a direct descendant of David. Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was um, heir to the throne of Israel. So if anyone in Israel was to, was to be heir to the throne, it would have been Joseph. Israel at that time had a king. This king was called Herod. Herod was not a Jew. He was an illegitimate king. He had no right to the throne. The Romans had placed him there. So he was a puppet king. But Joseph was the legitimate heir to the throne. So Jesus' earthly father, by legal right, 
Jesus had claim to the throne. Well, it was even better. Mary, his mother, was a direct descendant of David through another one. So Jay, uh, Joseph descended through Solomon, and Mary descended through Nathan. Nathan was another son of David. One of, one of David's sons was named Nathan. So Mary came from, another, uh, came from the line of David, but she didn't come. She wasn't a direct descendant of the inherited kingly line, but she bore the royal blood in her according to the flesh, right? So what I'm trying to show you is Jesus had legal right to the throne of David, and he also had the blood right to the throne of David. He was born according to the seed of David. He wasn't just some random son of David. He was literally the king. He had every right to be called the king of the Jews. He had every right. He came as a king, right? Does that make sense to you guys? You guys making sense of that? Yeah, you good? All right, all right. So what's this got to do with Easter? Hold on. He was born of the seed of David according to the son of the flesh, and he was declared to be the son of God through the resurrection from the dead by the spirit of holiness. He proved who he says he was. No one had ever risen from the dead before. Jesus rose from the dead. People say, oh, you know, I watched a YouTube video and this person died for like three minutes on the table. No, they were resuscitated. They weren't resurrected. So it's important to know that. Right? Jesus was resurrected. He was three days in the tomb. He was wrapped in heavy linen, embalmed with uh, spices. And so the weight of the spices and the linen itself would have suffocated him three days in the tomb. And he rose. This is a fact. He was seen by hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. He didn't even rise. The Bible says he hung out for 40 days. He rose, he ascended, and then he was, he, was, uh, he was among his disciples for 40 days. What was he doing? I don't know. But the book of Acts says, we was teaching them about the kingdom. It does tell us that. The book of Acts says there was over 600 eyewitnesses to him. So he'd, he'd be cruising down the marketplace, and Jesus is standing there eating a banana. And you're kind of like, hey, man, didn't I see you get crucified? Wasn't it? You know? So he was a living witness. There was a living testimony of Jesus. Uh, the book of Acts was written by a doctor, a uh, very scientific man who, uh, you know, doctors are all about the facts, just the facts. And so Luke not only confirmed him dead with the blood and the water, Luke confirmed him alive. And the book of Acts was written by Luke, and it was written to, the God, to a, a man called Theophilus, who was probably Luke's benefactors. Back then, you don't know if you know this or not, doctors, doctors were, were ben, had benefactors. They didn't really charge a lot for their services. They, they didn't charge. And so doctors were highly educated people, but they weren't charging you, a, a, you know, 500 bucks to go see them. You would go see them, they would help you, and doctors relied on benefactors. So they had other rich people that would support the doctor in order for the doctor to help other people. And so Luke's benefactor was uh, a man named Theophilus, and so he wrote this book of Acts towards Theophilus. And one of the things that Luke says is that hundreds of these witnesses are still alive. He's telling him, listen, Jesus is who he says he is. He's risen from the dead. Eyewitnesses testify and confirm it. And several hundred people saw him alive, and they're still alive. Those people are still alive, and you can go and interview them if you'd like to. It's just a historical fact. Jesus rose from the dead. People say, oh, they stole the body and left the clothes. Right? If you're going to steal the body, you don't leave the clothes. Right? So when he when he wrote so when Jesus when Jesus was crucified the disciples were defeated and they were in despair but when he rose they became courageous and contagious why were they defeated and why were they in despair? Because they, saw, they had a vision of him that was not the vision he came to accomplish. The Jews, because of the way they understood the prophetic, the prophetic spoke of the Messiah as a coming king, as a ruler of nations, but it also spoke of him as a suffering servant. And they could not make the association that there were two comings of the Messiah. So they didn't like the idea that the Messiah was going to be a suffering servant, and so they bought into the idea that, Je that the Messiah is going to be a conquering king. Jesus is coming again. And he's going to rule the nations. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God. The Lord will establish his throne. That's coming. 
The Jews, the, the, the Hebrews at the time and the religious leaders overlooked the idea that the, the Messiah was going to suffer first. They didn't like that idea. And so the disciples had this ideology too. So when Jesus died, they were kind of like, wait a second, this isn't exactly how we thought it was gonna go down. This isn't exactly what we thought. And so when Jesus died, they became defeated and despaired. What's funny about that story is that Jesus is going to be crucified. And on his way to go to be crucified, he has meetings with his disciples. He's saying, listen, we're going to Jerusalem. I am going to be betrayed by the religious leaders. They're gonna hand me over to the Romans. I am going to be crucified, and in three days I'm gonna rise. He told them that. And so, but it just went right over their head. Remember Peter going, far be it from you, Lord, that you should do this. Oh no, this isn't your way. But when, so when Christ, Jesus was crucified, they were all shocked, and they all ran, and they became defeated. But then they see him alive, and they become courageous and contagious. And this is what Jesus wants us to be, courageous and contagious. I'm gonna give you five reasons for hope. The resurrection brings hope to the believer. You should never be hopeless, Christian. Not now, not ever. If you are a believer in Jesus, there should never be a reason why you are hopeless. There is hope given to you. You have access to things that the people without Christ do not get. First thing you have access, the world can access this. Anybody can have this. But we are completely forgiven. Did you know that? In Christ, you are completely forgiven. What does this mean? I'm going to kind of explain this concept. A lot of times we think of sin or we think of uh, unrighteousness or whatever your, your word is for it. We think it's something like outward. We think it's like an action, okay? We think it's like, oh, I smoked, drank, and chew, listened to Jay-Z, went and saw an R-rated movie, I sinned. And we think it's some kind of external action. Sin is not an external action. Sin is an internal dysfunction, and so what happens a lot of times is people try to do good works and some of the religious traditions teach you, oh, you got to do penance to make up for the bad work you did. So they teach you this stuff because they, they view sin as an external action. Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22, it says, though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, your iniquity, everybody say iniquity, iniquity. remains before me, says the Lord. Our problem is not external action. Our problem isn't that we're, we, we got something we got to wash off of us. Our problem is iniquity. So what's iniquity? I want you to say this, iniquity is issues in the bloodline. All of us have issues in the bloodline. We come from one people. There's no such thing as race in the Bible. I don't know if you know that. The word's not even used. The, the, word, the Bible uses the word ethnos, and it means different. That's all ethnos means. All of us are from one common blood. We come from one ancestor, red, yellow, black, or white, short, tall, hairy, bald, you know, whatever. Whatever we are, you know, we all come from a common blood. There is no such thing as divisions among races in the Bible. There's only something called ethnicities. And so when we look around, like Miami's a very diverse people. What does that mean? We, there, we're all, a lot of us are different from each other. But we all come from, we're all descendants of Adam. Adam sinned. And what happened when Adam sinned, he stepped into judgment. And when Adam stepped into judgment, iniquity, the iniquity that he stepped into came into his bloodline. And all of you, and myself included before Christ, carry the blood, carry the iniquity. When you come to Christ, the iniquity is removed. This is the issue. We're born of the blood of Adam. We must be what? Born again, right? And we're born by the what of Jesus? The blood of Jesus. Why are we born of the blood of Jesus? We're born of the blood of Jesus because sin is in the bloodline. So just like when Adam sinned, Adam came under judgment, iniquity spiritually came into his bloodline. All of us carry the iniquity of Adam from the time we're conceived. We're all sinners. 
You're born a sinner. People say, God's going to condemn me. God doesn't need to condemn you. You're born condemned. All of us are born under judgment. Adam's sin, what Adam did is he stepped under judgment. God never judged Adam. God never judged anything, Adam or Eve. He judged sin. And because Adam stepped under sin, Adam is under judgment. You understand how this works? And so when Adam stepped under judgment, that spiritually it was iniquity is in his bloodline. That's why when you become born again, you come out from under judgment, you come into Christ and you're born again by the blood of Jesus. The same thing that enslaves you spiritually in sin is the same thing that frees you spiritually in righteousness with the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. This is what happens. You guys making sense? That's why we have to be born again. You have to have, you have to, you, you, we're all born of Adam. The problem with man's sin is not external actions. External actions are the compulsions of the iniquity that is in you. You're a sinner. You, so when you come to Christ, you say, well, I'm a Christian and I still sin. Yeah, I know. But you're positionally accepted. So what happens when you get saved, you give your life to Christ, you, you're under judgment, you give your life to Christ. The Bible says you're translated, which literally means shifted. He retranslates you. He gives you another language or he translates you from a foreign language into a common tongue, if you will. It's what it means to be translated. God translates you out of darkness into light. You come from under judgment and you come into Jesus. We don't even go under Jesus. We come into him. This is what it means to be born again, right? So this is what happens. You get born again. You give your life to Christ. The Bible says the spirit of God comes into you. Jesus comes into you and you come alive. So while Christ comes into you, you're actually going into him. So it's like this transference. He is in you and you are in him. He is in you, you are in him. You're no longer of the blood of Adam. So this is one of the things that Christians have to shift their thinking on. So many times we think we're born, well, I'm Cuban or I'm Dominican or I'm Irish or I'm Italian or I'm whatever. You're none of that. When you're in Christ, you're of the kingdom of God. You're no longer of your earthly ancestry. You can identify with it all you want. You can hold on to it all you want. But that's not who you are, and that's not how Jesus sees you. We in this room are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, are we not? Are we not? And the Bible equates this family greater than your natural family. I know that's shocking. This family is what God considers family. If your natural family are believers, well, then they're family too. But if your natural family are unbelievers, what God expects is that you prefer your spiritual family over your natural family. That doesn't seem fair. Nothing fair about that at all. There are, you are of the kingdom. You are, you are the family of God. You are the sons and daughters of God. The favor of the Lord is upon you. You've come out of judgment into Christ. You're no longer under judgment. You're no longer under condemnation. You're not. There is therefore what? Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now. What? No what? No. Condemnation. That is a text. That the, the, the phrasing of that in the Greek means it's ongoing. There is no condemnation now, 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 now. Not now, not ever. No condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation. There's no condemnation. So what does that look like? When you come to Christ, you are positioned. Doesn't mean everything that you do is correct. Can I get a witness? Anybody here, right? Maybe you guys are more holy than me. Okay, so I'll use myself. I come to Jesus, I am positioned in Jesus. I'm centered in Christ Jesus. But every decision that I make is not correct. Not every, not every motive, not everything that I do is correct, okay? God does not approve of everything that I'm doing, but he approves of me in Christ. I'm in Jesus, I'm accepted in the beloved, and I'm approved of. And so my actions don't disqualify my position. I'm in Christ. Nothing can separate me from that position. How many kids have, how many people have children here? Anybody? 
right? Now, does your child sometimes act like they are not a part of your family? Anybody? And you want to look at that child, you want to go, I, I don't know, I'm going to slap your mama when I get home because I don't know where you came from. You know what I'm saying? You ever have kids that don't act like you? And if you don't have children, you know, be prepared in the future. Because sometimes you're like, I always tell you when I challenge to my kids, I'm like, would you rise to the level of your birth, please? Could you please rise to the level of your birth? Okay, here you go, parents. I'm going to give you some therapy, right? As a parent, <laughs> I'm going to give myself some therapy. As a parent, my wife and I spent all of this time like separating ourselves and following the Lord to break away from things and to build a life, right? And to provide our children with more stability than we had. Then your child becomes a teenager and they are doing everything in their power to crawl back into the pit that you spent a lifetime trying to get out of. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, and like your mother and I fought tooth and nail to get out of that and now you wanna go back to that? It's crazy, but that doesn't mean that they're not my child. Just because they don't act like my child doesn't mean they're not my child. When you're born again, you are positionally accepted in Christ. Your behavior does not disqualify your position. Your behavior disqualifies your destiny. All things are lawful, not all things are profitable. The things that you do disqualify the plan and the action of God in your life. God has a plan for you, has a purpose for you, has a destiny for you. You're positioned first as a son and a daughter. And he wants you to live from that place. He's going to fulfill a destiny in your life as a son and a daughter of the highest. His, all of your future, all of your purpose, all of your destiny is to flow down that river, to flow down that channel. That's his purpose for you. But we jump out of the channel. We go over here. We start messing with all these other things. We start doing all these other things. And what we're really doing is we're coming out of the river, right? We're disqualifying ourselves not from our position. We're disqualifying ourselves from where the river wants to take us not eternally, but naturally. So this is what happens. We short track the destiny and the purpose of God. Your destiny and your position are two different things, two different things entirely. So that, that's the point. So your actions, God does not always agree with all of your actions, but your actions do not disqualify your position. You've got to know this. Otherwise, you're going to get lied to, and the devil's going to lie to you, and every time you do something dumb, he's going to tell you God doesn't love you anymore. And I would say to you, who told you that? Who told you he doesn't love you anymore? Did Jesus tell you he didn't love you? I just had a woman at the back. I was just talking to her. And she's struggling some things. And I said, listen, God loves you. Are you having a hard time believing that? I said, yeah. I go, let's ask him. Are you going to hear the Lord right now? And so I worked her through the thing. I said, and I got her, positioned her as who she was. And I said, ask the Holy Spirit who you are. She said, Jesus, who am I to you? I said, first word. Her head went back. I said, what'd you hear? She said, amazing. See? I said, did Jesus tell you you were a loser? No. What did he tell you? He just told you you were amazing, didn't he? Because he sees you as amazing. You were amazing to him. His eyes glow every time he sees you, right? He loves you. You can be shot out, you know, broken, doing all kinds of stupid things, but the Lord sees you and he beams. Like the father of the prodigal, right? He picked up his robe and ran. Did he not? He didn't give that kid a lecture. Every time that kid came to him, when that kid came home to the prodigal, he didn't go, now, where have you been and what have you done? And you spoiled your inheritance. I know we do this, so I'm convicting myself. I do this. So anyway, but, the pro but this is our father. Anytime we come back to him, he never has rejection for you. He sees you. He comes running. That's a beautiful story. When he comes back, he says to, he says to his father, this is important. He says to his father, I have sinned against heaven and you and I am, and he didn't even get the words out. What does that tell you? 
That tells us a lot because the son had already rehearsed his speech, right? He's in the pig slop. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer to be called your son. Let me be a servant in your house. So the son had this whole speech together. And when he showed up at the father, say it with me, the father accepted, the father accepted repentance, but he would not allow his son to lower his identity. That's right. Read the story. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He didn't even get it out. The father wouldn't let him say that. Repentance is accepted. I've sinned against you, Father. Okay, cool. I'm no longer, nope, you're not going to even say that. Your Father will accept repentance from you, and sometimes repentance is due, but He will not allow you to lower yourself beneath the standard of the position that He has established over you. You do it, we do it to ourselves, but He never does it. He never does it. And it's actually intolerable to come before Him in any other position as a son or daughter. It's intolerable. So I tell you, He doesn't answer begging prayers. He doesn't answer uh, uh, victim prayers. Oh, God, why me? He doesn't answer them. Lord, please. Oh, God, please. He doesn't answer them. Stand before a son. I'm a son before my father. I give you thanks, Lord, that I am your son before you. I give you thanks that you have made me an heir through the blood of Jesus. I give you thanks that all things are mine. Your name is my inheritance. This is what belongs to me. Father, I come before you and I lay claim to my inheritance. Boom. You're going to activate. He will not answer your prayers as a victim because he doesn't see you as a victim. He will not answer your prayers as a beggar because he doesn't see you as a beggar. Stop begging. Stop praying victim prayers. Stand like a daughter. Stand like a son. Take your rightful place. And you will see heaven will move because he acknowledges you in that position. He doesn't acknowledge you any other way. It's the way it works. No begging prayers. Oh, God, please. That's why healing happens. Healing doesn't happen when you beg. Oh, God. Oh, God, be merciful, Lord. If there's any mercy in you, Lord, oh, God. He doesn't hear you. He doesn't hear you. You know why he doesn't hear you? He hears you, but he doesn't recognize you. I hear that. Who's that saying that? That can't be Marty. Is that Marty praying that? No, Marty's not a beggar. That's, no, that's, no, that's Marty. No, that's not Marty. I don't know who Marty is. That's not, that, that's not Marty. Right? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Over and over again, when people presented themselves to the Lord, you will see that God commanded them to stand up. Job was praying like a beggar. God said, stand up. Joshua was praying like a victim. The Lord said, stand up. Get up off the floor. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. On your feet, Joshua. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop being a beggar. Stop feeling pity for yourself, Job. On your feet. Stand up like a man, he told Job. Try it. Why? This is, this is kingdom, people. This isn't church culture, this is kingdom culture. This is power I'm talking to you about. That's right. You want your prayers answered? I'm telling you how to get it. I'm showing you. You can be completely forgiven. You are son and daughter before your father. Your actions do not disqualify your position. Say it with me. My actions are not always approved by heaven. However, my actions can never disqualify my position in Christ. As a son or a daughter. That's right. If you don't get that, the devil's going to train wreck you. You're going to hear all kinds of lies. You're going to hear all kinds of things. He's going to take every action that you have, and he's going to beat you down. He doesn't want you to be beaten down. He doesn't have a problem. If you screwed up, he's going to tell you. You shouldn't have did that, Kevin. All right, Lord, I repent, and I'm sorry. He'll take the repentance. You shouldn't talk to your wife that way. You know, well, she didn't cook me dinner. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Kevin, why didn't you take out the trash? Well, she told me she said, we're not having sex. And I said, oh, we're not having sex? I'm not taking out the trash. She said, oh, you're not taking out the trash? Well, I'm not doing the laundry. And I said, well, if you're not doing the laundry, I'm not cutting the grass. 
And then Jesus says, you shouldn't talk to her that way, right? Lay your life down for her, prefer her, so he'll take my repentance. Okay, Lord, I'm wrong. He'll take the repentance, but it's not like, you loser, pathetic son, don't know how to love your wife. What's wrong with you? It's not like that. You guys got to get out of that. If you have that mentality, you got to crucify that. You have a religious righteousness that you're, you're qualified because of your righteousness. Wrong answer. There is nothing you can do to qualify you for that position. Nothing. Zero. Your actions do not disqualify your position. You live from your position and your actions will begin to flow from your position. Start thinking and seeing yourself as a son and daughter and filter it that way. What, what is my job? My job is to honor my father. My job is to be about my father's business. I am divine royalty in the blood, by the blood of Jesus. I will not act that way. I will not make that decision. What would the Lord want of me? What, what is it that, what is it that I would, would God would require of me as a son? What is it? Then you start thinking that way and acting that way and understanding who you are and understanding who is it and you don't have a problem with your actions. You're going to start going, your actions are going to start moving in the right direction. You'll never be perfect. But can we get into the majority? Can we do 60-40? Can we get there? You know, that's a win. Somebody told me one time, can we do 51-49? I'm like, that's a win. We'll take that. 51% of the time I'm doing the right thing. And I'm working on the 49. But, you know, hey, it's a win, right? The iniquity condemns us all. We all have an issue with iniquity. If you don't know Jesus, you need him. There's nothing you can do. Your works will not save you. No one else can save you, only Jesus. We have to be born again by the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Nobody. Everyone who comes in but through me will be marked as a thief and a robber, and they will be what? Anybody know? It's a challenging verse, cast out. If you try to come into this kingdom any other way, you will be marked as a thief and a robber, and you will not be, give, you will not be permitted in. You'll be cast out. Cast out's a bad place. You don't want to go where the cast out is. You want to wear the right robes, Jesus. You want to wear the right garments that he gives you. He's the way. It's easy. What do I have to do to receive Jesus? Open your heart, believe in your, believe in your heart, and open your mouth. That's pretty much it. It's pretty, is that simple? Yes, it is. I tell people it's like an elevator. We get in an elevator. We go to the penthouse. How do you get to the penthouse, right? Anybody, anybody live with like, who lives in a tall building? Anybody? Right? Okay, let's say, wait, okay, let's just say Deborah lives in a building that's 35 floors. How would she get to the 35th floor? You'd step into a thing and you'd do what? She, this is how hard it is. Dude! And then she'd go to the 35th floor. This is what, that, that didn't cost anything. But you know how many millions of dollars it cost the builder to put that in? It didn't cost her anything to get to the 35th floor because she didn't build it. You understand? But she had to access it. And so the, the, we come to Christ in a very simplistic way, and it seems insignificant to us because we didn't build it. It seems like it doesn't cost us anything because we didn't build it. It does cost you something. It costs you your heart. It costs you your life, but you just give it away, and boom, you get what he offers. That's how it is. We have to be born again. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Why didn't Jesus come to condemn? Because he doesn't have to. He doesn't need to condemn anybody because we're already condemned. Jesus came to save us from what? Our condemnation that we are already under. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. In other words, you're already condemned, right? If you, don't, if you believe and you put faith and demonstrate and ask Christ into your heart, you come out of that and you're not condemned. You come out of condemnation. We're born into it, born of the blood of Adam. Man condemned himself. I love that. 
God never condemned us, we condemned ourselves. The Bible says that Adam entered into the sin of the devil. What is the sin of the devil? Separation. The devil wanted to be God, right? It was his whole idea. That's why he was thrown out of heaven. I'm going to kick God off his throne. I should be God. Ah. I get to rule. I get to make up the rules. And so God even tolerated that until he led a rebellion to actually try to do it. And when he did, Jesus just flicked his finger and out out of heaven he fell. And the Bible says he fell like lightning. He falls to the earth. And what's he do? He comes to our ancestors and he begins to, he begins to deceive them. And he begins to deceive them what? You can be like God. You don't need God. You can be your own God. You can be the master of your own destiny. Better yet, you can be your own God. And if you don't want to be your own God, guess what? You can make up your own God. You can make up a God, any who, anyone you want to be. Go right ahead. You want to worship Oscar Mario Baloney? Go right ahead. Right? You want to worship your car, your house? Go ahead. You want, you want to create up a God in your own imagination? Go right ahead. That was the lie. Not only are you God, if you don't want to be God, well, hey, you could get to make one up. It's not who, a God who we think he is. It's God who he declares himself to be. God can be known. Jesus is the one. Man condemned himself. It's just, just staggering when you think about that. God didn't have to do anything. didn't have to do anything. Say, well, he's going to condemn at the end. He doesn't condemn anybody. He just gives them the reward. When Christ comes in the resurrection, when you die, you immediately go to Jesus and you get your reward. Boom. When the unbeliever dies, they have to wait until the judgment, and then they stand before God, and all they're getting is they're getting what they they inherited. They're under the inheritance of condemnation. God doesn't do anything except all he's doing is handing out inheritances. All he's doing, oh, you're under condemnation? Well, here's your inheritance. Boop, bad place. Oh, you're in Christ? Oh, here's your inheritance. Boom, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's all he's doing. He's not condemning, I hereby condemn thee. (laughs) It's not like that at all. Not like that at all. There's other nuances there. I'm, I'm generalizing it. I realize that. So if you're really theological, don't let, you know, I'm, I'm just giving it in a general way, generic way. All of us are strayed like sheep and we have left God's path, Isaiah says. All of us. This is the sin. The iniquity that's in us is that we, went, we, did, we didn't need God. And it says, then the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It says he, was, he, he had done no wrong, he had deceived no one, he, was buried like, like a, he was died like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. It was the plan of the Godhead that he should suffer. So our sin, our iniquity, is that we've all left God. We're our own God. This is what I'm talking about. Iniquity, right? It's not externals, it's internal. It, it's, not about the, it's not about the externals, it's about the internal. That's the sin that condemns us. So we have to be born again and it's removed, right? And it says, yet when his life is made an offering sin, he will have what? Many children. When Christ makes his offering for sin, he opens up a way for us to come into his kingdom, to be adopted as sons and daughters. And we, and we don't just get adopted as sons and daughters. We're not like stepchildren that have no inheritance. You are adopted as a son and daughter, and you have full rights of inheritance on day one. Day one. You don't have to earn anything. That's another story. God doesn't, you don't come into his kingdom, and then he sits you over there in a corner. You come into his kingdom, and you are immediately positioned, and you are immediately granted access to an inheritance. And again, that's another story. Who's, whose idea was it to crucify Jesus? Somebody said, the Jews crucified Jesus. No, the Romans crucified Jesus. No, our sins crucified Jesus. According to the Bible, the Godhead crucified Jesus. It was the plan of God to redeem man. This is the only way. What did Jesus say in the garden, right? He had the cup. He said, if there's another what? Right. Take the cup. But not my will. And there was no other way. If there was another way, the Father would have provided it. But there was no other way. And so what did he drink? The cup, the, the, the cup is the cup of condemnation. That's what he was, that's prophetic 
understanding, I will take the condemnation for them. But he was, he, God, Jesus was not afraid of the crucifixion. Let's be clear. What was he afraid of? A, in fear, it's intrepidation. It's not like, oh my gosh, I'm afraid. He was, he was an intrepid. He was unsure, right? He didn't, he, who, who wants to do that, right? He wanted to, but everything in his flesh is going, no, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, I want to jump. You know, it's like you're going to take a leap. And you're like, I want to. But your body's like, no, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. It's kind of like that. He was not afraid of crucifixion. He didn't, just, he didn't fear the ones that could destroy the body. His concern was the judgment of God. He was going to take the judgment of God, and he was going to face separation. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus was separated from his father. He didn't get he separated on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting, the nuance of language. You guys getting anything out of this? I'm starting to like drift, you know. I'm drifting into the cool and some cool stuff. So one of the things that Jesus, God, the Bible calls him Elohim, right? Does it not? In the beginning, God, Elohim. Elohim is Father, Son, and Spirit. When Jesus is on the cross, he's crying out Eloi. He doesn't say Elohim. Why does, why does Jesus refer to God as Elo, Eloi and not Elohim? Because he is the Godhead. He is the plurality of the Godhead. So he's speaking to his Father in singular because he is the plurality. You understand that? He's God, he's dying on the cross. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. What happened? The separation, when the sin of the world was laid upon Jesus, the judgment and the condemnation, darkness from the third hour to the sixth hour, the separation between his father. Because sin causes separation. He took the sins for us. He took the cup for us. If there's another way, let me know. But there is no other way. This is the only way. Anybody see, okay, well, let's play. Avengers, anybody seen Avengers? Oh, come on. Yeah, yeah. You've got, no, I've never seen Avengers. What's that, right? You know? Remember uh, um, uh, Dr. Strange? He said, one chance. One shot, Tony. You got one shot. This was a one shot. It was a one shot deal. There was no other way. There was no other way for him to do it. You remember that? There you go. You don't remember that? You do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's going to, yeah. So anyway, if you haven't seen Avengers, what was that what movie? Which one was that? The, the last one, right? I don't even know what it was called. Come on, I know there's movie people in this room. We all just act like, mm, I don't know. I'm spiritual. I wouldn't know. Endgame. Endgame. Who took? What was it? Endgame. Endgame. Thank you very much. High five. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Avengers Endgame. Endgame. High five back there too. Right on. Number two, I'm going to move quick. Right? You are loved with an everlasting love. You can be forgiven. This is why the resurrection gives you hope. And the second reason is that you are loved. You are loved. God loves you. Nothing can separate you from God's love. What does God's love mean? Everybody say, the love of heaven means to seek the highest good. So when God says he loves you, he's not having an emotional experience. When God says, I'm going to use Marty again. When God says, I love Marty, he's not going, oh, Marty, you dressed so nice today. I feel like I love you. There's no emotion involved. He looks at Marty and he says, my love for Marty is to do what's best for Marty. My love for Marty is to work his life into the highest level of his purpose and to bring him into destiny. That's God's love. When God so loved the world, what does that mean? The highest purpose of the world is to come to Christ, right? So love seeks the highest good. God so loved, God so sought the highest good of the world that he gave his only son. Why? Because the world's highest purpose is to come to Christ. So when you're in Christ, the love of God is actively and always seeking your highest good. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Right? Okay, I'll have to use my son. My son, raised in the spirit, all these different things, does all these things. I asked him a question. I said, so Elias, do you, do you pray about this before you actually do this? And I said, and he's like, yeah. And I said, uh, does the Lord not instruct you? 
does he not talk to you? And he's like, yeah, he talks to me. And I'm like, then why do you do that? He goes, because I don't want to. <laughs> right? So he's asking the Lord, and the Lord goes, here's the highest good. And then he goes, nah, I don't think so. And I do, that's what happens in our life, right? God is trying to seek the highest good. And so why isn't the highest good happening in our lives? It's a real simple thing because of the, your, your, your choices. Your choices. You have to choose into the highest good. God has instruction for you. You're accepted in the beloved. The world will know by us by our love. Will he not? Isn't that what the Bible says? So when we understand what love really is, the love will know us because we have fellowship hugs for one another, right? Oh, I just love you. Oh, let the world see how much I love you. No, the world will know that we are disciples because love is a mutual benefit. I'm looking at Marty again, and I'm saying, I'm, go I'm going to bless you. What can I do to bless you? I want to honor you. I want to lift your life. And I'll say, bless you. And then Marty goes, no, bless you. And I say, honor you. And he says, no, I honor you. It's this mutual exchange of blessing where each one of us is trying to lift the other to the higher level. Each one of us is trying to benefit and add value to the life of the other. Well, that's a witness, isn't it? The world is not doing that at all. It's dog eat dog. You are looked at as product. You are looked at as, as meat, right? Everybody's looking at you and, you know, business transactions. Well, what am I going to get out of this? You know, it's, that's, how, that's how the worldly business is done. Kingdom business is done is like, let's lift each other higher. Who do I know that can bless Alex? Who do I know that can put Alex in a success position? What can I do in Alex's life that can bring honor to him and draw him closer to the Lord? And his attitude is I mean, supposed to be the same. We're supposed to have that mind where we're just constantly blessing and mutually enhancing one another. What a powerful thing. We don't see it at all, but that's the way God, we do it here. But, you know, oftentimes in the church, it's not like that. You know, we get mad when everybody gets blessed. Why would you get mad when everybody gets blessed? Why? I get excited when people get blessed. Right? Wendy got a promotion. Praise God. Jesus has given out promotions. Anybody want a promotion? Wendy, come over here and lay hands on these people getting a promotion. Had a guy say to me, uh, I, need a, I need a raise. He's talking about this life change in his life. I looked over at Charmaine, one of our singers. She got six raises last year. How many? Six. And I said, let me get the woman over here who got six raises last year. This Charmaine, this guy needs a raise. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Pray for him. Because what you receive, you are qualified to carry. What you, are car what you carry, you are qualified to impart. You're not a visitor. You own it. God gave her six raises. Six. You're like, what? I haven't had a raise in six years. She's got six raises in one year? What in the world? Nothing fair about favor, Christian. The world will know by your love. We love, we act, and we support, we lift other people up. We do, we do the things that are necessary. That's what we're supposed to be. That's who we are. You don't have to worry. What God does for another, he'll do for you. Somebody got a promotion? Ask him for a promotion. Somebody got an upgrade? Ask him for upgrades. He may attach an instruction to it, but he doesn't say he won't. Can we sit at your right hand? Jesus said, that's not mine to give, but I'll promote you if you can drink the cup. I'll promote you if you'll go through the process. That's the key. See, we want promotion without process. So sometimes people want to, want, want to receive something from the Lord, and it's, not, it's totally his, his will to give it. Totally his. Okay, I'm going to use Jeremiah. Jeremiah has a word from the Lord. I'm going to use you, right? Okay. Whenever you get tired of me using this story, just let me know. You're going to go, oh, you're going to tell this story again because it's a living story. Jeremiah has a word from the Lord that he's supposed to increase financially, and he's supposed to be a benefactor to the kingdom. That's the word. And he's asking God for that, and the Lord says, okay, I'll give you that. But did he give that to you without instruction? He did not. He said, I'll give it to you. 
but you're going to have to follow the instructions. And you're going to have to follow me every step of the way. We want, we want promotion without process. That's our problem. Or when we ask for promotion, we're not willing to follow the process, or we don't like the process, or we quit every time the temperature changes. When you go up the mountain, the temperature changes. When you go up the mountain, the atmosphere changes. It gets rainy, it gets windy, it gets cold, it gets hot, it gets dry, but you're going up the mountain. Well, this is too dry. Jesus wouldn't have me going through a dry season to get up the mountain. It's Christian dumb, right? It's just the way we are, unfortunately. But you'll go up the mountain if you follow the process. He, he asks the Lord, the Lord says, I'll give it to you, but I'm gonna give you instruction. You have to follow the instruction. Survival wasn't his problem. He's asking for success and significance. Big difference. He's provided for. Are you provided for? But provision wasn't enough for you, right? Survival's not enough for you. Hand to mouth isn't enough for you, is it? You want more. And you know there's more. And so where do you go? He goes to his father in heaven. He asks the Lord, I want more. And he says, I'll give you more. What do you want? Jeremiah, they start negotiating. Jesus is a negotiator, in case you didn't know that. He loves to negotiate. He loves to make deals. Loves it. It's like, I'll strike, I'll strike hands with you. I'll give you that, but you're gonna you have to follow my instructions. What are you believing him for? What are you believing him for? Are you believing him for nothing? Do you know what you're gonna get if you believe him for nothing? That's right, zero. If you believe God for nothing, you're going to get nothing. That's a fact. Well, God's gonna give me whatever he wants to give me. I'm under the sovereign rule of God. So when I lose my job, that's the sovereign rule of God. When I can't pay my mortgage, that's the sovereign rule of God. Or if I'm just surviving, that's the sovereign rule of God. Who told you that? Survival is your, is your inheritance. Success and significance is your destiny. But so many people just settle for survival. <laughs> just telling you how it works. There's more. There's more. There's more. What do you want? God's going to give it my way. No, he's not. God's going to give me my vision. I see churches teach this stuff all the time. The Lord is going to help you fulfill your vision. Meep. Wrong answer. Write this down. If you think Jesus is going to help you fulfill your vision, it's not going to happen. He'll provide for you. I didn't say that. He will provide for your vision when your vision is in his vision. You want a successful business. Why? You want to do this. Why? doesn't matter what you want. The desires of your heart is okay, but you have to position it within his kingdom. Seek first what? That's right. And what is right to him? And then what? Yeah, yeah. Come on, you guys, come on. We should know this. Seek first the kingdom and what is right to him, and then what? Everything will be added unto you. Well, we want everything added to, him, added to us, but we don't want to seek the kingdom. Well, just give it to me, Jesus. Give me, give me, give me. My name is Jimmy. That's how we act. It doesn't work like that. I didn't say he won't provide for you, so don't you walk out of here saying God's not going to provide for you. He's going to provide for you. Survival's your inheritance. Don't worry. Here's good news. You're going to make it after all. You're going to make it. Your bill's going to get paid. You're, you know, you're going to have food. Jesus is going to guarantee your survival. But he does not guarantee your success or your significance. That requires partnership. But survival's guaranteed. So if you all just want to live survival, no problem. Don't worry. You'll survive. You're going to make it. But if you want success and significance, it's a different path entirely, Christian. You have access to purpose. That's what I'm talking about. You have a purpose. You're made on purpose with a purpose. You have access to power. Power. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive what? Power to be my witnesses. He tells the book, he tells the church at Ephesus that you would, I, I pray that you would understand the power that's been given to you. 
Why is that so significant? Ephesus, if you guys know your story, you know the scripture, if you're familiar with it at all. In the book of Acts, it talks about the church at Ephesus. Ephesus, the whole city of Ephesus was converted to, to, to Jesus through power. Demonstration in power. Miracles, boom, the whole city's like, what in the world are we doing? Let's get rid of our idols. Let's burn our books, these magic books. The whole city was given over to idols. God does miracles among them. They get rid of all of their idols, and they begin to follow in the spirit. But by the, by the time Revelation was written, which is 90 years later, the Lord had to write, write to Ephesus and says, your doctrine is pristine, but you've forgotten all about power. Your first love. You've forgotten all about love, charismata, spiritual power moving in love. You've forgotten all about that. Where'd that go? What happened to that? And so now Paul is writing to them and he is saying to them, I pray that you would understand the power that's been given to you. Not the doctrine, not the theology, not the dogma. Doctrine's important, but doctrine needs power, Christian. Doctrine is the vehicle. The vehicle isn't going anywhere unless you start the motor. The vehicle's not going anywhere unless you put your foot on the accelerator. Doctrine is the framework of the vehicle, but you need power. You have to have power. Foolish Galatians, anybody know this one? Quoted all the time. Galatian church was the same way. Having begun in the spirit, now you've abandoned the spirit and are trying to work this faith out in the flesh. All a bunch of externals. These were Christians living by externals now. They no longer were in the spirit. They no longer valued the presence. They valued the external. Looking right. We have churches just like this. Everybody looks good. Bless God on Sunday morning, we're high and tight, got my shirt on, high, my, my hair's cut above my ear, my, my, my ear line. You know, we, we, everybody looks amazing. No spirit at all, lots of externals, or there's a pseudo spirit. There's a fake, it's like, it's, it's like, you know, it's not genuine, it's not right, it's just, it's just doesn't, it's just not the same. God corrected that church too, Paul corrected him. He said, you begin this thing in the spirit and you think you can now fulfill it with rules? It's the Holy Spirit over and over again. You have access to the Holy Spirit anytime, anywhere, okay? I use this first service. There's, there's lights on in the room, is there not? Okay. So where do lights come from power, do they not? But if I go over and turn the light switch off, what happens to the lights? Does the power go away? The power's still in the room, but the access to power has been denied. Say, if I turn the power, you have power. You don't know how to flip the switch. You don't know where to find the switch or you're too afraid to flip the switch. But you have power. Just because the power shut off doesn't mean it's not there. The Spirit of God comes into you when you're born again, you have power. It may be dormant. It may be you've never fired it up at all. But as soon as you flip the switch, you're gonna see you have power. We do a spirit-filled class in here called um, uh, Firestarters. We're gonna do it in June. If you wanna encounter the Holy Spirit, you need to come. Say, I don't know, I'm not too sure. Take the red pill, Neil, go down the rabbit hole. What are you afraid of? Come and encounter the spirit of God that was given to you. It is to your benefit that I, get, that I go. If I do not go, the Holy Spirit will not come. If Jesus says the Holy Spirit is better for you than me standing here right now, you should pay attention. If Jesus paid with his blood and ascended to the Father so that the Father would send the spirit, you should pay attention. He values him that much. All blasphemies will be forgiven against the Father and the Son. But profaning, disregarding, diminishing what? The Holy Spirit. Nope. That's how much honor God puts on the Holy Spirit. How much honor do you? That's how much honor heaven puts upon the Holy Spirit. How much honor do you? Just a question. Spirit needs to be, we need to understand the Spirit. 
Do we need word? Absolutely we need word. Absolutely. We have to have word and spirit, but we can't have word without spirit. We've tried that. We've been doing that for a while, right? And what do we end up with? A bunch of pillars of salt, a bunch of stoic Christians, know all the right things, but couldn't care less. Can't manifest power, can't manifest a miracle, can't do anything, nothing. So if we're doing such a great job without the Holy Spirit, why don't we try it with the Holy Spirit? Then we don't need to abandon the word. We keep the word, but we use the spirit through the word. That's the idea. It's not either or, it's both. You have the power to start over. Happy day. What does this power give you? Resurrection power. You can start over. You don't know what I did yesterday. His mercy's new every morning. You can start over today. Start over. Power to start over. You have the power to overcome. Overcome what? What's in your way? Jesus said, if you say to this what? Who said that? I got one person. If you say to this mountain, be moved. What is he saying to us? You are empowered and no obstacle has a right to deny you. There you are undeniable people. If you will learn to speak and to do and to act, no obstacle can hold you back. You have the power to overcome. That's what's given to you. Flip the light switch. Why isn't it working? Because the light switch off, Christian. You don't know how to turn it on. You don't know how to move the power from one end of the room to the other. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean anything. It just means you don't know. That's okay. We're all learners. That's what the word disciple means. Learner. We learn. You have the power to go further and the power to bring forth. You have resurrection power. Resurrection power. You can bring forth things in your life. You can go further with the power of the Spirit. You're made by Jesus. You're made for Jesus. Until you figure that out, nothing's going to change. In him we live. What? Come on. Move and have our being. All things from him. All things for him. All things to him. All things through him. That's what the Bible says. It's all about Jesus. And until you understand that, life's going to be a bag of cats, man. That's it. Life is a bag of cats because we don't know how to integrate ourselves. You ever know what a bag of cats is? You ever put a cat in a bag? Never, pastor. You ever try to take the cat to the vet? Does it cooperate? No. Not at all. Before they had those little carriers, anybody with me? They didn't, I didn't grow up with little cat carriers, right? So we had to take a cat to the, to the vet or something. We had to wrap it in a blanket or, you know, we had to like subdue it somehow. Somehow we had to subdue this animal. The dog would just be kind of like, okay, I'll go wherever you want me to. The cat's like, no way, uh-uh, no way. Then you put that cat in a little wrapper and that cat's just fighting you the whole time. And you're just... <laughs> bag of cats. That's the way our life is, it's a bag of cats. Until we understand it, it's in him we live, move and have our being. Until we understand the connection with him, the life, our life is in him, man. It's all about him, all about him. You have access to promises. God's promises are the determination. You should have hope. There's a promise for every situation. I don't care where you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if everybody around you pronounced you dead. You have a promise over you. If Jesus didn't say you were dead, then there's life. Tell the story. Boy, with the disciples come down from the mountain, there's this huge debate going on. The disciples and the religious leaders are having a theological debate. A boy has an epileptic Caesar and falls down, and all of the religiously correct pronounce him dead. He's dead! He's dead. And Jesus is standing there. Was he dead? Anybody know the story? What did Jesus do? Stretched out his hand. Boy came up. You know what Jesus is saying? Did I say he's dead? Did anybody here tell me, say, did, did anybody here hear me say that that boy's dead? So if you didn't hear me say that the boy's dead, then the boy's not dead. All y'all are saying that he's dead. There are people that pronounce things over your life, and God has not made that promise to you. People have said, it's dead. It's over. Just give it up. It's over. 
theologians, well-meaning Christians. You have the Jews and the disciples having a theological debate about the boy. Jesus didn't do any theology. He didn't even enter into the debate. He stretched out his hand. He said, I don't want to hear what you say. You guys know the other story? Little girl dies. Jesus shows up. Everybody's crying. Oh, oh, what a wonderful child she was. Oh, she was such a beautiful child. She had Shirley Temple curls. Oh, she could sing like a lark. She could sing like an angel. Jesus walks in, says what? She's not dead. She's sleeping. What did the people do? They laughed him to scorn. Ha, 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 ha. And so what did Jesus do? He put the mockers out of the room. He brought mom and dad in, disciples, boom, raised the girl. Right? Not dead. And Jesus said, did I say she's dead? Are y'all saying she's dead? Did I say she's dead? I say she's not dead. She's sleeping. Ah, ha, 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 boom. I say Jesus heals today. Ah, ha, 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 out of the room. I say Jesus prophesies through his people today. Ah, ha, 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 out of the room. You don't have to worry. You don't like healing, you'll never see it. You don't like prophetic, you'll never see it. You don't have to worry about the Holy Spirit. If you, don't, if you don't honor him and you mock him, you'll never see him. You'll never see him manifest. You'll get the warm glow and maybe a tingle down your arm every now and then, but you will never know the fullness that he has come to bring you. You'll never know it because you mock it. Revel, say it with me. Revelation is not given to the curious. Revelation is given to the hungry. Jesus isn't out to satisfy your curiosity. Revelation is given to the hungry. Manifestation is given to those who honor. Say this with me. Honor, honor. creates access. If I will not honor, I will not access. You don't honor the Holy Spirit, you won't access him. You don't honor the prophetic, you won't access it. You don't have to worry. Well, I don't want God to do something prophetic in my life. Don't worry. It won't happen. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. People come over there. there two people there, but they go, I want a prophetic word. Boom, you can feel the pull. As soon as they pull, they're like, I believe God has a word for me. They feel a pull. And so, boom, there's the word. The word comes forth. Why? Because they're honoring, and the access opens, and the ministry comes forth. Well, I don't know if God speaks. Don't worry. I won't have anything for you. Or no one, none of the team will have anything for you. If you don't want him to speak, he won't. Don't worry. Don't worry. You have to honor. Honor creates access. Revelation is not given to the curious. It's not. If you just want curiosity satisfied, not going to happen. Not going to happen. You have to want it. Why do you want it? He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. But you have to do the work in your heart. Why do you want that? What is your motivation? I'll give it to you, but I need, to, I need you to understand what, what you're driving at. Oh, I just want to know. I just want to be curious. I just want to tinkle. I just want to bell. I just want to whistle. I just want to be able to, you know, it's not going to happen. You have access to the promise. God's got a promise for you. He's got a promise for you. You know his promise is life and not death. No matter what situation you're facing, whatever, you cannot let your situation speak to you and you cannot let other well-meaning people speak to you. Girl says, I don't feel like I'm loved. I said, you have problems with yourself. This girl, that the Lord told her she's amazing. She's like, I just have a hard time with that. I go, you have a hard time with self-acceptance? She do. I said, you're hard on yourself? She said, I am. I said, let's ask Jesus what he thinks about you. Boom, first word. I said, what do you say? She went like this. I said, what'd you hear? She said, I heard amazing. Jesus, what do you think of me? Jesus, what is, how do you see me? He said, amazing. I said, did Jesus say you're unacceptable? Did Jesus say you're unlovable? I go, what was his word to you? Amazing. She started crying. Why? Because Jesus is hitting her right in the heart. You, you get this? You guys understanding this? This, this, stuff's, this stuff's real. This isn't like fantasy land, fairy tale. This isn't abstract or it happened 2,000 years ago and it's going to happen when we get to heaven. It's right now. Right now. Miracle, power, prophetic, future, vision, revelation, all of these things. Kingdom right now, if you want it. 
You have access to promises. Without time, we're without Christ. Without Jesus, we're outsiders. I'm almost done. Last verse. We're going to pray. Before Jesus, we were outside, outside of the commonwealth of God's people. I have no idea what that, that word commonwealth, I don't know, but I like that word. So before Christ, I was outside of the commonwealth. But now that I'm in Christ, I'm inside of the commonwealth. Lord, show me what commonwealth means. I don't know what that I can guess, but I want you to show me what you mean when you say commonwealth. Before Christ, you were strangers from covenant and promises. So before Jesus, you were a stranger to the covenant and promises. Now that you're in Christ, you're not a stranger. The covenants and the promises are yours. They belong to you. Before Jesus, you had no hope in the world. With Jesus, you have hope in the world. In Christ, you were once far away, have now been brought near. You should never despair. Your God is for you. He's never against you. He will help you. He doesn't judge you by your stupidity. He doesn't. You judge you by your stupidity. Other people judge you by your stupidity, right? Can we all understand that we're stupid? We don't, I don't have any stupidity. I'm just, we look, we're stupid sometimes. Just admit it. You do dumb things and you don't know why. You're like, why did I do that? That was dumb, right? <laughs> My wife's laughing because she, she's like, I know you do, Kevin. Anyway, so it was just funny. You know, we, we judge ourselves by our stupidity, but God doesn't. You know why? Because he loves you. He's out for your highest good. Okay, you did that. What did we learn? Did we learn not to do that? Okay, admit it and quit it and let's move on. That's how he is. That's how he is. He, he doesn't dwell on it. Well, now, you know, once I've seen a little reconciliation out of you, then and uh, maybe I'll do it again. Maybe I'll, you know, once you've earned back my trust, you've got, your, you've got trust back immediately. Immediately. Well, God doesn't trust me anymore. You know why? Say it with me. Jesus never trusts me. Come on. Uh -uh, he never trusts you. Do you know what he trusts? He trusts the Holy Spirit in you. He has no confidence in you. How do you know? Because he told me. I was praying. I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure I can make this work. You know what he said to me? I'm praying about many things, but this is an, a moment. He said to me, Kevin, I don't have any confidence in you. How'd you like that? Did you get a word from the Lord? Yeah, I did. What was the word you got from the Lord? Jesus told me he doesn't have any confidence in me. What? And so I'm like, well, what do you mean? You know, immediately, I could have went and retreated and sucked my thumb. Oh, God says he doesn't trust me. If I do that, it shows I don't know I'm loved, but I know I'm loved. So he's telling me something, and so I know he's inviting me into a deeper question. Kevin, I have no confidence in you. So then how does this work? He said, I have confidence in the spirit that I've placed in you. I have no confidence in you. You can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. We can do all things through, Christ, through what? Through Christ, right? Not without him. He has no confidence. Give yourself a break. You have no, he has no confidence in you. No confidence in you. But he has confidence in the spirit within you. So what's the implication? Trust in the spirit that he's given you. Trust in the spirit. Lean not on your own understanding. Look to the Lord and he will guide you. Look to the Lord and he will counsel you. Look to the Lord and he'll, he'll, he'll lead you through. He's got an answer for everything. And he's got a promise. And he's going to say you're amazing. The world's going to say you're a loser. Jesus is going to go, did I tell you you're a loser? No. What do I, you want to know what I think? Yeah, I do, Jesus. You're amazing. You're amazing. Who's like this? Who's like this? Nobody's like this. Why you wouldn't want to give your life to Jesus? I don't know. Jesus is the offer you can't refuse. He is the offer. He is the greatest offer mankind could ever give. The greatest promise. One of the greatest promises. And it's found in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And you believe in your heart. That he's risen from the dead. You will be what? Saved. Right? For with the mouth. For with the heart. Where am I? For with the heart. One applies faith 
into righteousness. Our heart is where we push by faith and believe into what is right. And with the mouth, confession is made or the covenant is made unto salvation. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, everything I've just told you, you're a stranger to. And if you've never given your life to Christ, my first question is why? Today's your day. Today's your day. Why would you not? He didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. You're under condemnation right now. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Nothing to lose and everything to gain. I say, how do I do it? You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Well, how do I do that? We're going to lead you in a prayer. We're all going to pray. We pray together as a family. Pray together as a unit. If you're watching by stream, we're going to lead you in a prayer. Pray with us. Say, there's other people in the room. I don't know. I'm embarrassed. Jesus hung openly on a cross, despising the shame. Endured the cross, despising the shame. But the joy that was set before him, he did it. Jesus hung on a cross for you. Can you pray a prayer with him? God says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, you I will deny before my father. There's no such thing as closet Christians. We wear camouflage. Or we don't wear camouflage. We wear armor. We have to come out from among them and be separate. So let's pray. If you're watching at home and you've got a group of people, if there's a group of people there, pray with them. Everybody pray. Don't get up. Don't go to the refrigerator. That soft drink can wait. Your chicken nuggets, that's okay. Just chill out. It's going to be all right. Pray the prayer. It's a 40-second prayer. We can do a 40 seconds that will change your everything. And if you're here this morning and you've never prayed that, today's your day, not tomorrow. We're guaranteed a lot of things, but we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Why would you wait? Let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I believe you came, you died, and you rose again for me. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. And I need a Savior. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You say that's it? No, that's the start of it. Come on, yes, we can clap. Bible says that the angels in heaven throw a party when one person comes to Christ. They party. It's so special. So that's it. That's the beginning of it. And so we want to encourage you. If you did that by live stream, hit us up. Um, send us a message. Do whatever. I had a guy from North Carolina send me a text last week, two weeks ago. My wife's like, who is this person? I said, I have no idea who this person is. And so he sent me a text and they said, hey, is this a prayer line? I don't know how they got me. Probably off the website. And, um, but they've been watching us on live stream. And he says, do you, do you guys... Uh, do you guys pray? I said, yes, yeah, send an email to the church and they'll give you the prayer team. We have a prayer team available right there. So if you guys need prayer, we do have it. We pray, we have prayer, ministry of prayer all the time. So, but I said, yes, yeah, send an email and they'll send, they'll send your prayer request to the prayer team. And uh, so the guy goes, well, do you pray for salvation? And I go, do you want to receive Jesus? He said, yes. I'm like, I'll call you in five minutes. So it's kind of like that. And my wife's like, who are you calling? I'm like, I have no idea who I'm calling. And so I said, sure, I had to go into the post office. I said, I don't know who I'm calling, but I'm going to call this guy and see where he's at. And I ended up calling this guy. And I said, have you ever given your life to Christ? He said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I ever have. And I said, well, today's your day. Right? And so we prayed to receive Jesus, prayed over him. So if you don't think live stream has power, you're crazy. If you, can, if you just share these streams on your Facebook wall, just share the stream. Just hit the button, share the stream on your wall. You don't know who's watching this. I didn't know this guy. 
I don't know how he got connected to us. He's in North Carolina, and he ends up calling me. We've had people from all over the, the country contact us you know, through it. And, and it's not because we're so profound and so prolific and, and broadcasting, doing a live stream. It's because people just like you share the stream. Greater love is no one than this than to lay their life down for their friends. You lay your life down. Say, I don't want my friends to know I'm a Christian. Well, that's your first problem, okay? That's problem one. Come out of the closet, Christian, and let the world know you're a Christian, okay? Hit the live stream. I got to take down all the party pictures if I, if I hit the light, if I do that. Well, can't help you there. Hit the light, share it, right? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way, and may he give you peace, and may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Happy resurrection. Prayers available. Unto the cross I claim Of its suffering I do drink Of its work I do sing